guys, welcome to the Everyman Livestream. My name is Jeremy and I'll be your host today. Now, if you're joining this ever-growing community of men for the very first time today, welcome and buckle up. Today, we're finishing what has been one of the most challenging and transforming series we've ever broadcast in the history of this live stream. It's called the Red Letter Warnings. Now, there's two parts to this. Red letters, well, those are the words of Jesus. And warnings, well, those are the urgent or challenging statements spoken to followers of Jesus that, if not heeded, carry dramatic consequences for your relationship with God. And if you thought the first four sessions were strong, this final session is going to take an x-ray of your spiritual life. Now, like with any x-ray, you're going to see what God sees in you. Some of you will already know what's there and God will ask for a new response. Others of you will be made aware for the very first time that there's something you need to address or remove. But most of all, what I want you to know is that you are in good hands as all of us seek to take our next spiritual step. God is with you and I want to encourage you to be courageous. Now, before we dive into today's study, take a moment and share this session with your friends that you know will be blessed by today's encounter with God. Also, let us know where you're tuning in from and uh, where you're watching this live stream from today. All right, are you ready for this? Let's go live right now to Crossline Church in Laguna Hills, California, and join men's expert and pastor, Kenny Luck, for part five of the Red Letter Warnings. Good morning, fellas. If you have a Bible, you want to hold a spot in Luke chapter 11. Uh, we're in part five of the series we're calling the Red Letter Warnings. And uh, just by way of review and for people who are joining us maybe for the first time, uh, in the world of communication, you've got some different types of communication. You have conversations, and that's where we're just sharing thoughts. It's a free exchange of ideas. There's really no responsibility with it. It's just, this is what you think. This is what I think. And then there's uh, another level of communication where there's recommendations. You know, you go from conversations to recommendations, and that's like, hey, you know, thinking about what we're talking about, if I were you, I might consider doing this, or you give advice, or you give counsel. But it's still, you know, up to you, and then it moves to a next level, and that's where there's strong caution with exhortation. I'm just like, hey, you know, thinking about this, uh, hey, I just got to tell you, uh, don't do this and do do this. All right, that's a warning. That's where, because you love someone, you're like, hey, there's a, there's, if you do a certain action or think about something a certain way, there's a consequence to that, and, uh, and that shows love towards somebody. All right, there's, there's consequences on the other side of it. And so what we're saying in the Red Letter Warning series is that all words in my life are not equal. Let's say that together. All words in my life are not equal. Right. We, on a human level, we assign more weight to certain types of words or statements where there's more urgency. And if you have a Bible, uh, typically in your Bible, uh, there's an Old Testament and a New Testament. And in the Old Testament, it's black and white. And in the New Testament, there's a color change. And it's only one color. It's red. All right. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, we get the red letters. We get the words of God himself. Uh, walking the earth, telling us uh, truths to believe, promises to claim, commands to obey. And then in, in Jesus's uh, continuum of words, there's some red letters that are warnings. So you have to give those even more weight and more urgency uh, when he makes a statement. And so of all the words men hear, of all the words men of faith can hear, uh, the red letter warnings should carry the most weight and you should pay attention 
uh, to those. And so what we've done in this series is we've I've kind of cherry-picked uh, some important red-letter warnings for us to consider and to apply. And in part one, we talked about Jesus' warning against self-sufficiency. He said, I'm the vine, you're the branch. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Okay, nothing is a strong word, <laughs> right? And, and so it's the warning against uh, being the vine yourself, right? He's the vine, we're the branch. He's the potter, we're the clay. He's the shepherd, we're the sheep. Don't try to be him, be you, and don't be self-sufficient. In part two, we talked about the warning against religiosity. Jesus said, they honor me with their lips, right? But in their hearts, they're far from me, right? Where there's, there's being religious, and then there's being truly spiritual, the way Jesus defines it. And, uh, and then in part three, we talked about the warning against denying your identity, Right? Jesus said, you confess me before men, I'll confess you before my Father in heaven. You deny me before men, I'll deny you before my Father in heaven. Wow. Them some strong words, right? And what he's saying is, is that you know, you, the level of importance you assign to me on earth, well, that's the level of importance I'm going to assign to you when you get to heaven. You know? And, and that's, a, that's a strong statement, and it, and it forces self-reflection. And then uh, in part four, we talked about the warning to be ready. Right? Jesus said, I'm coming. But you got to be ready. And all the parables that Jesus told about, you know, the, the groom goes away, and then the virgins uh, have to have oil in their lamps. They're ready to meet the groom, and uh, make sure there's oil in your lamp. Or the owner of, uh, of, of the house goes away, and, and the servants are waiting for him. And it, it's good at, that servant is about the business of what the master told him to be about, all right? And, uh, and now in, in part five, we're going to look at the warning not to compartmentalize, right? And we'll get into that, right? The warning not to compartmentalize. And we're going to do what we did in parts one through four. We're going to look at the word and we're going to raise the value of the word, meaning that when God speaks, we should listen. And then we're going to look at the warning and then we're going to unpack the warning and then we're going to try to make some uh, application. So if you have your notes, uh, go ahead and take those out. Uh, we're going to start with a little passage of scripture from Psalm 19. It's one of my favorite passages of scriptures, and it has the language of warning in it. All right, let's read that together. Ready? The decrees of the Lord are firm, and all of them are righteous. They are more precious than gold, than much pure gold. They are sweeter than honey, than honey from the comb. By them, your servant is warned. In keeping them is great reward. So the Bible says about itself, that when God speaks, right, the decrees of the Lord, these are the most solid words that you could ever hear. All right? The decrees of the Lord are firm. And, and then it says, by them, the words of the Lord, your servant is warned. Right? It's, it's a, these are cautionary things. These keep you in a lane of safety. And so let's unpack uh, that principle for a second. All right? Warnings are needed, number one, for sins that we're susceptible to. Write that down. Do you know that you're susceptible to sin? Even the most righteous among us, even if you've been walking with the Lord for 50 years, you're still susceptible to sin. You ever know a person like you're, they've known the Lord for a long time and then you hear some story or, or you get some information about them, and you're like, wait a minute, him? Wait a minute, them? Anybody ever heard of a pastor? Where it's like, wait a minute, him? You know, and that's, that's all about heeding the warnings of the Lord. No one's above that. I'm not above it. You're not above it. 
doesn't matter uh, if you're a, a preacher or a layman or a businessman, right, or a Bible teacher. It doesn't matter, right? We're susceptible to sin, and that's why we need warnings. The Bible, the Bible says that very clearly. By them, your servant is warned. There's the identity of the person, the words of warning, and then the activity is that there's a great reward. If we, keep, if we heed that warning, uh, then there's a reward. Secondly, warning is needed for dangers we cannot see. Warning is needed for dangers we cannot see. I'm sure that all of the dads listening to me held their, their kid's hand, and while you're between you know, five foot and seven foot, you see what they don't see. They're down here, you're up here, and you're navigating them, all right? And uh, you're, you, you always give your kids warnings because there's things that you see that they don't see, right? You're above. Well, that's the same way with God. God sees things we don't see. He has, he's all-seeing, he's all-knowing, and, and then he sees what he sees, and then he communicates to us, don't do that. And it's out of love. There's a loving intention. Third, warning is needed for dangers you cannot appreciate. For, for dangers you cannot appreciate. That's why Jesus would, would say, you've heard it said, but I say to you. You know, we don't appreciate the power of anger. We don't appreciate the power of lust. We don't appreciate, you know, the, the certain things that have way more power than, than we think they do. And then we give ourselves permission to kind of stay in a certain place or act a certain way or have a perspective on a certain thing, and we don't assign it the, the power that maybe God's word does. And we have to go, oh, we got to elevate our perspective and how much value we assign to certain things. And then fourth, warning is needed for dangers far off in the future. Warning is needed for dangers far off in the future. God sees the future uh, he's telling you to do things now. Let's just remember when you're a kid, when your your mom or dad would tell you to do something, and and you're just like, why do I have to do that? You know, because they, you know, and you just direct, well, do it because I say you're supposed to do it. You know, <laughs> and you don't have to understand. All right, we love you. All right, you don't have to understand. We love you. God, God's the same way. You don't have to understand, but He sees. He's way ahead of you, and He loves you. Now, here's the problem: when warnings are given. All right, write this down. Warnings are often rejected. You know, you blow them off. You know, we do it all the time. You know, I remember driving with my friends, Jeff Pleck and, and Joe Skaggs, and Joe, no, Jeff got a brand new 1979 Celica Supra. You guys remember that car? Yeah. And uh, man, it had some, some cool tires on it. And, uh, you know, we're going down Scully Drive. And uh, on Scully Drive, at the end of it is this hairpin turn, okay? And there's a stop sign and a warning sign that you better slow down to 15 miles an hour. So, you know, yours truly is in the back seat. Jeff is 17, and he's driving his brand new Celica Supra. And, you know, I'm kind of looking around, doing a, doing a cop check, and we get up to the stop sign, and I'm like, go! Like, blow the sign, right? Don't heed that warning. And then I'm like, don't worry, this car rides on rails. And he hits the 15-mile-an-hour turn at about 45, 45, 50 miles an hour. So then, you know what took over? Gravity. Physics and gravity, exactly. So we start sliding into a Ford F-250, and we hit it, like, center, center left. And then that hits us, and then there's another truck. And we hit that, we hit that car so hard that it was on the ground on the curb and it went 
like this, boom. We hit it, we were underneath it, hit it, popped it up. The whole car went up on the lawn of the house that it was in front of. Now, why I share that story other than, you know, boys are like baboons in a troop, you know, just, you know, we get into a frenzy and all it takes is one bad idea. Amen. Um, but, you know, warnings are often rejected. Now, I share that story in, in all humor and, and, and so forth, but when God speaks and he posts a warning sign and a stop sign and you blow through it, man, you're doing it at your own peril. Let's go, look at what it says in Deuteronomy 29 about when God speaks. Ready? Let's read it together. The secret things belong to the Lord our God, but the things revealed belong to us and to our children forever that we may follow all the words of this law. Circle that, that we may follow, if you're taking notes. See, when God speaks, it's not just like to steal your fun or, or to uh, be punitive or to control your life. Uh, God has loving intention behind everything that he says, right? And he's not, he can't tell us all things because we'd be overwhelmed. We can't handle everything that God knows, but God tells us some things, all right? And those some things are in this book. And, and when he speaks, it's not for consideration, it's for application, all right? It's, it's for response. It's for activation, all right? So there's, there's kind of our elevate God's word. We have to train ourselves to have a relationship to the words of God, and when he speaks, we respond. Say this with me. He speaks, I respond. Okay, so now let's look at the next red letter warning, and it's the warning not to compartmentalize. And, you know, when Jesus speaks, you got to make an assumption. And here's the assumption. When he addresses an issue or he talks about a theme or a topic, it's because it needs addressing in our lives. It's not like, you know, this applies to some people, but not all people, you know. Uh, this topic doesn't have anything to do with you. It has everything to do with him, you know. You can't think that way. He's speaking to his followers, and when there's a tendency, he'll address it. And so that's what he's doing in Luke chapter 11. And we're going to read uh, a few verses, verses 34 to 36. And I, I, want, I want to put a set of glasses on you, right? Put on your compare and contrast glasses and as we read this passage of scripture, all right? Ready? Your eye is like a lamp that provides light for your body. When your eye is healthy, your whole body is filled with light. But when it is unhealthy, your body is filled with darkness. Make sure that the light you think you have is not actually darkness. If you are filled with light, with no dark corners, then your whole life will be radiant as though a floodlight were filling you with light. So you've got a small part of the body, the eye, and then you've got the whole, right? The body. You've got light and dark, healthy and unhealthy. You've got a conditional sentence at the end. If and then... And all of those compare and contrasts, they hinge on something being true about you. No dark corners. Let's say that together. No dark corners, right? So you have the whole, right? And you're thinking, man, I'm full of light. I'm a follower of Christ. I have the light of the Holy Spirit. I have the light of God's word. I have the light of life in my life. And I'm thinking, man, I am a person of light. But then with my eyes and my will in my heart, I allow to remain in my life that's full of light, I allow some darkness to be a part of it. And if you get the picture of what's being shown there, 
it's a floodlight and we think our light is on and we're shining at full power, but we have a dark corner and it's like a short. Guys ever had the power go off in your house, you know, something happened, circuit breaker, right? Well, when you allow a dark corner, and we're going to define what that is, when you allow darkness to remain in you, man of light, you cut power. Everybody say cut power. Cut power, yeah. Because, because light and dark have nothing to do with each other. Holiness and sin have nothing to do each, with each other. And when I allow sin to remain in my life, I'm cutting my power off with God. All right, so let's, let's unpack that a little bit and see what the picture is. Number one, it's a picture of purity, right? Light has nothing to do with darkness. You know, in the scripture in First John, talks about, and this is the message we have heard from him and proclaimed to you, that God is what? Light. And in him there is no darkness. All right? And so God is light, and in him there is no darkness. And if you're a follower of Jesus, who's the light of the world, right? He doesn't want any ongoing, knowing darkness remaining in you, all right? Sin. Second, write this down. It's a picture of personal deception, it's a picture of purity, light with darkness. Second, it's a picture of personal uh, deception. I love when Jesus says things like, make sure that the light you think you have is not actually darkness. Some person is following him and they think, yeah, I'm a follower of Jesus. And then they, they think they're a person of light but they're actually thinking wrong about a certain area or action or attitude in their life. And so they're just kind of moseying along, driving themselves off the cliff, you know, because sin has consequences. So we got to think about things, instead of thinking of myself and the way I'm living, the way I want to think about it, and having Jesus follow me, <laughs> I'm following Jesus. And this is how he thinks about it. Then I'm in the light. Right? Third, it's a picture of pollution. You have light being polluted with darkness. It's a picture of pollution. If you are filled with light with no dark corners, right? And we all understand what pollution is. If I have a glass of water and I put one drop of cyanide in it, you're not drinking the water. The water is what? Polluted, right? You pollute your life when you allow and affirm and give permission for sin, an area of your life that you know is out of alignment with God's will, and you know it's out of alignment with God's will, an attitude or an action, and you let that thing, as small as it can be, remain in your life. Same principle as the cyanide. I mean, God's not, God's not participating in that. He can't because he's light and he's holy and he has no part of darkness. There is no darkness in him. And then fourth, it's a picture of power. I love the language here. If you're filled with light with no dark corners, then, all right, key hinge word, then your whole life will be radiant as though a floodlight were filling you with light. Man, that's, that's at full power. That's like, we're throwing the switches. There's no, there's no uh, break in the contact. I'm at full power, all right? So the red letter warning in this little discussion is make sure. 
In other translations, Jesus says, see to it. You ever had somebody say to you, hey, see to it, you know, don't, when you're jump-starting your car, don't see to it, you know, that those things don't come together, that there's no contact there. So now let's, let's unpack what we got to make sure, things that if, 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 we, if we practice some of these things, we're making sure uh, that there's no dark corners. Number one, make sure I confront self-serving thoughts, right? You want to make sure that you don't have any dark corners in your life and you're at full power with Jesus, Make sure that you confront self-serving thoughts versus what? When a self-serving thought presents itself at the borders of your mind. Give access to it. Give breath to it. Give life to it. Or even fuel it and rationalize it. All right? In Deuteronomy 29, the same chapter that we read earlier about how when God speaks, um, when God reveals things, we should follow what he says. In that same chapter, in the buildup to that statement in, in verse 29, uh, it talks about the person who compartmentalizes when God talks. And listen to the language. I'll start it, and then we'll finish it together. Make sure there is no man or woman, clan or tribe among you today, whose heart turns away from the Lord our God to go and worship the gods of those nations. Make sure, there's those words again, there is no root among you that produces such bitter poison. Now let's finish it together. When such a person hears the words of this oath and they invoke a blessing on themselves, thinking, I will be safe, even though I persist in going my own way, they will bring disaster on the watered land as well as the dry can't escape the consequence. Doesn't matter if you try to run away from it. If you're thinking like that, God says this, and then you say to yourself, I'm still going to be okay if I persist in going my own way in that area. That's a formula for personal disaster and a formula for disaster for the people connected to you that you're responsible for. You know, that's where, you know, men are like little sticks of dynamite. Depending on how they're living their lives, they're going off and making choices, and then that has a collateral impact on the people uh, around them. But I, I read that, and God said, that's how you think sometimes. Hello. Like, I think, oh, that's okay. We do it all the time. Oh, this won't hurt anybody. All right? I mean, how much damage can it do? Pastor JP and I were talking in my office about this message, and we thought, pastors do that. Pastors do that. We think, oh, you know, when, you know, in, in the realm of everything that we do, you know, we give ourselves a little hall pass. We just kind of write ourselves a slip where you can just take a vacation from your faith in, in certain little areas of your life. And, you know, we kind of look at each other in the eye like, mm, no, can't do that. You know, every man does that. And you're tempted to do it. And the Bible is saying, and Jesus is saying, no dark corners. Let's say that again. No dark corners. No, you have to have an attitude. Right? You have to understand, i got to confront those self-serving thoughts. What does that look like? It looks like rationalizations. It looks like justifications. It looks like excuses, where you excuse yourself from being a man of God to be, to be a man of, who gets to do what he wants, right? where you just kind of set your identity aside in that area, and it's like, no, I'm going to take a vacation from my identity. So what does self-confrontation look like, and what's at stake? On your notes, 
There's a passage from 2 Corinthians chapter 10 that I want us to read together. Ready? We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God, and we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. See the language in there? Think about it. So you're thinking right now, right? I'll go, we'll go into our day, and at some point, there's going to be a suggestion that's going to come to your mind where you're going to do something for you. You're going to serve yourself. You're going to self-gratify. You're going to choose to be self-important. You're going to try to self-protect. You're going to try to self-preserve. And that thought's going to present itself at the border of your mind, and you're the little person in the uh, passport control box where you get to kind of examine what this thought is, and you're going to decide whether or not you're going to let it into the country of your mind so that it can come and rest and live freely, or you're going to kick it out. You're going to say, come with me, sir, and you're going to handcuff it, and you're going to arrest it, and you're going to go put it on a, a plane out of the border of your mind and send it back to the darkness where it came from. That's the way the Bible says we need to manage our thoughts. You can't just go, oh, well, you know, yeah, come on in, you know? You can't feed lust. You can't feed anger. You can't feed resentment. You can't feed bitterness. You have to confront those thoughts as the keeper of your mind because you're supposed to love God with all your heart, all your soul, all your strength, and all your what? Mind. Right. So the way I think is the way I'm going to live. That's why God says that. My living reflects my thinking. When thoughts present themselves, I have to take captive every thought. How many thoughts? Every thought. So you get a thought. Wow, that receptionist is cute. What do you do then? You got to confront it with God's word. All right? You guys have one of these on? You got to memorize what Jesus says about marriage. All right? A, father, a man will leave his father and mother, cleave to his wife. The two will become one flesh. And what God has joined together, let what? No man separate. I'm not going to separate myself from my wife by allowing a lustful thought, and I'm going to give it life and breath, and I'm going to scenario build in my head? No, thank you. So I have to make sure I confront self-serving thoughts. And I want you to see the context. We confront and demolish thoughts, arguments, pretensions, and the transition word in that in 2 Corinthians 10.5 is that, and now it's going to describe the thoughts that we're supposed to confront. They're thoughts that set themselves up against what? The knowledge of God and his plan. So you get a thought, and that thought is contrary to the knowledge of God, knowing God, loving God, serving God. That's the thought that you confront, you demolish, and you arrest, and you kick out. Amen. That's what it means to be a man of God, right? And that's what you see Jesus doing. It's not in your notes. That's what you see Jesus doing in uh, Luke chapter 4, verses 1 through 11. Satan gives Jesus thoughts and suggestions that he captures, demolishes, and eliminates by speaking God's mind to that thought. And that's how we battle. So if you don't want to have a dark corner, you got to be good at self-confrontation. Versus giving self-permission. Like, it's okay, nobody knows, it won't hurt anybody. Rationalize, excuse, justify. That's not how the man who keeps dark corners out of his life thinks. 
All right. Second, I got to make sure I'm fully surrendered to Jesus. I got to make sure I'm fully surrendered. Fully versus what? Partially. Yeah. You see the difference? No, it's just like someone being on the team. It's like, are you in or are you out? All right. And in, in man world, if we're on a team and we have a mission and an objective, we don't tolerate half committed people, right? Because then you get a half committed response and a half committed result. And the same is true in our relationship with God. He wants us fully surrendered. That's why I put a very famous passage of scripture on, on, in our notes today from Romans chapter 12, because the picture is of an unconditional and fully surrendered person. It says this, therefore I urge you, circle that, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Well, how do we do that? Let's read the rest together. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. So your body, all of it, is a living sacrifice. So when you bring something to the altar to sacrifice it, right, and that's a full, you're fully surrendering whatever it is that's, that's in your hands, you know, that you're bringing, right, and you're going to put it on the altar, and either it's going to stay on the altar or it's going to squirm off the altar, right? And staying on the altar requires, if it, you're volunteering, a full surrender. And the Bible paints this picture of a full surrender, a living sacrifice. My life is a living, wherever you live, you're sacrificing your will for God's will because we're fully surrendered, right? Why? Because holiness and living a life pleasing to God is at stake. And then there's this opposite and counter force that's trying to get us, right, to have a dark corner. And that's the world. Don't conform to the pattern of this world. What's the pattern of this world? If it feels good, man, do it. YOLO. You only live once, man. I mean, I know you got all that Christianity stuff in your relationship with Jesus, man, but we got an opportunity here. And we should dive in wholeheartedly. That's what the world says. It's called relativism. You know, what's right in this, you know, situation may not be right in that moment. It's whatever is right to you in that moment and that feeling, you know, we're addicted to feelings in, in our culture right now. And our feelings are the facts, you know, so we give feelings precedence over God's word and God's person in our relationship. And we go with our feelings in the moment. Can't do that. We're surrendered to, to the Lord. Now, Jesus was very explicit about that. What does, what does, surrender really look like? Well, in Luke 10, 27, it says this. Let's read it together. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind. There's the theology of all right there. All means all, not some. Jesus didn't say, hey, you know, love the Lord your God with some of your life and with some of your soul and some of your heart. And he'll take pieces and parts and the leftovers and he'll, no. Every area, all means all. You know, when I think about unconditional surrender, I think about the, the Japanese prime minister on the deck of the USS Missouri at that little, it looks like a little tiny table, signing the terms of unconditional 
and he's under the guns, those big deck guns of the USS Missouri. I mean, it, you know, the, the people who are putting this together, it's like, oh, where should we sign this document? Well, we should sign it right underneath those big, fat, honking, monstrous guns. And then we're going to snap a picture. So can you imagine the Japanese prime minister? It's like, okay, let's see. Yeah, lay down your arms. And yep, mm-hmm, yep. And um, oh, okay, yeah. See this little part here? It says unconditional surrender. Can I just put a line through that? And we're going to put like mostly. We're going to mostly surrender. Hey, my mom was rescued by third Marines on the island of Guam. 7,000 U.S. Marines lost their lives winning a tiny island in the middle of the South Pacific. Do you think the, the guys who, who were at that battle would like, oh, yeah, let's, let's, let's have the Japanese mostly surrender? No way. See, it's ludicrous in a battle to have one side mostly surrender. And you see, God's asking for our full surrender, full, unconditional surrender. That means there's no terms. There's no terms to unconditional surrender. There's no conditions. But you know what we do? We keep dark corners in our lives and we compartmentalize and we put terms into a contract or a covenant with God that is unconditional. Well, there's your perspective about how this works and then there's God's. And only one perspective is going to prevail. So let's, let's get our minds right. Amen? Let's think about how this really works and how it's really executed. So number one, I confront self-serving thoughts if I want to make sure there's no dark corners. Secondly, I want to make sure that I'm fully surrendered to God. Third, make sure I see sin the way God does. I don't know what your attitude about sin is or the areas of your life where you give yourself permission to kind of set aside God's word. But if you want no dark corners, you got to see sin the way God sees it versus the way you see it. And in Mark chapter 9, here's how God sees sin. Here's Jesus's mind. Jesus gives the warning, make sure there's no dark corners in your life. And then here's his mind on the dark corners or sin that we allow in our lives. He says this, if your hand causes you to stumble, cut it off. It's better for you to enter life maimed than with two hands to go into hell where the fire never goes out. And if your foot causes you to stumble, cut it off. It's better for you to enter life crippled than to have two feet and be thrown into hell. And if your eye causes you to stumble, pluck it out. It's better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye than to have two eyes and be thrown into hell. Okay, wow. That's Jesus's attitude toward the things that we allow to stay in our lives. You know, that's the way Jesus sees, sees sin. He sees it like cancer, like something that will kill your relationship with him. And, you know, being an oncology chaplain for a period of my life, working with 50 patients a week and their families and doing support groups, someone gets diagnosed with cancer. And many of you know what that is. You're just like, get it out of me. What do I have to do? And you look at the doctor and it's like, what do we have to do? What's the protocol? I'll do anything. I'll suffer the chemo. I'll do the radiation. I'll put myself under a knife. I will, why? Because it's deadly. And if you allow part of it to remain in your body, it will metastasize. If you allow it, any cell, 
of it to remain in your body, and it travels. It will travel in your bloodstream. It'll go to certain parts of your body. And so when you have a team of people, when you have a diagnosis and you have a team of people, man, the, the approach and the mindset is aggressive. We're going to go in there. We're going to cut that thing out. We're going to cut out margins around where the, the, the tumor was or where the cancer is. We're going to radiate that part of your body. We're going to make sure that it doesn't spread. Why? Because we want to save your life, right? That's how Jesus looks at sin. You allow a little bit of it in there. I mean, I remember being with patients after they came out of surgery and their first words out of their mouth is, doc, did you get it all? Did you get it all? Do you know that that's what the Holy Spirit is saying right now to you? You got to get it all, man. You got to get it all. You got to radiate that last part of your self-serving life with this. You got to expose it to the white, holy heat of God's word that will kill those diseased thoughts that if you allow them to remain, it will metastasize in your life. And if you allow it in there, it's going to take you down. It'll take down the whole. Look at what the exhortation is in Romans chapter 13. This is Paul talking to Christians. And uh, this language is unequivocal. Let's read it together. Ready? But put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh in regard to its lust. Wow. No provision. Here's the deal. I know in a room this size, there's men making provision for sin. And the Holy Spirit is speaking very clearly through God's word. And he's radiating that bad thinking that you have about that attitude or action that you're allowing to remain in your life. And it's not because God is punitive or wants to control you. It's because he loves you and he doesn't want that sin to metastasize and take down your whole life. Amen? Can we all receive that? Okay. So I don't want any dark corners in my life, right? Well, what do I got to do? Well, I got to make sure I confront self-serving thoughts and that I'm fully surrendered and that I see sin the way God sees it. Oh, by the way, not, he doesn't just see sin as something that will destroy you. He sees sin as the very thing that made his son have to leave a perfect relationship, come to earth and have spikes driven into his hands and thorns crushed on his head and his back turned into hamburger through a whip with little spikes in it. That's how God sees sin. It's what put Jesus on the cross. And if you're here this morning and you have something in your life that you know that you know that you know, this is not in alignment with God's word. You need to see sin the way God sees it. That thing that you like to keep in your life is the same thing that put Jesus on the cross. And I don't know about you, but for me, I don't want to have anything to do with what put Jesus on the cross ever. So I have to say no, and I need your help. And you need the guy next to you's help. And we need each other's help. And we need to be a fellowship of men who have an adversarial relationship with sin. Amen? Amen. That's the way it works. And I need, I need you. I need to be able to talk about my struggles. And I need to be able to help have you accountable with me to God first and then to one another. You know, that's the gravity that the, the Bible and God's word gives to sin. We got to see sin the way God sees sin. And then lastly, I got to make sure, if I don't want any dark corners in my life, to recognize I am at war. You know, in war, you don't get to rest. At war, you're on. It's like, a, you know, sometimes, you know, when you're, just think about 
when you're at war at work, like there's, there's a lot of stuff going on and there's a lot of projects and there's a lot of meetings and there's a big initiative and there's a big campaign and there's a big deal that we're working on, a big pitch or, or a big project or, you know, where you're just like, man, your, your thoughts, your energy, your, uh, your, your, your passion, your, your, your wisdom, it's all coming together and, and, and you're just, you're at war. Or maybe, you know, you can just kind of put it in the context of a two-minute round on a wrestling match. It's all out, right? I mean, it's all out. And you are focused, and you are counting every move and every counter, and that's, what, that's how we have to look at ourselves. And the Bible is very clear. It's always raising our level of awareness that, that earth is not heaven and that we're at war. Let's read Ephesians 4, 26 and 27 in terms of this, this mentality that we have. Ready? In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry, and do not give the devil a foothold. That's a territory statement. There are certain things in your life that if you allow certain things to abide or remain in your life, you are giving territory away and inviting attack from the devil. So in this instance, it's anger, right? So we all know how this works. You can go from a feeling of, hey, that doesn't work for me, to DEFCON 5 in a New York second. I mean, just put the right trigger in the water, and we can escalate anger. And, and the Bible's saying to believers, hey, you know that little thing? That little thing can turn into a big thing if you don't address it immediately. That's why here at Crossline and at any healthy church, they're helping people do relationships right. And you can't do relationships right unless you do conflict right. You're going to be in conflict, but there's a way to resolve conflict and seek truth in a process rather than destroy another person, right? Because you know who's outside waiting for you to let that remain in there? The devil. Do not give the devil a foothold. What's a foothold? It's a small but important piece of territory that if you give it away or if you don't protect it, then the enemy has a stake and a foothold in your life. And from that foothold, the enemy can then take down the rest of your life. Just think D-Day. Think the beaches of Omaha, Sword, Gold, Juno, little strips of land. We took down a whole continent and kicked Hitler out and the Nazis out in World War II, all from this little foothold. So you have to recognize that you're at war. In 1 Peter 5, verses 8 and 9, some of the best words that can ever be received by a man of God, and here they are. Let's read them together. Ready? Be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Resist him, standing firm in the faith, because you know that the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kind of sufferings. Wow. It's, we have to have our night vision on. We have to realize that we're at war. We have to realize that there's a perimeter, and outside the wire is a devil, an enemy, that is seeking to penetrate our perimeter and to get us any way in, doesn't matter whether it's through, through sabotage, bad thinking, direct frontal assault, however, he's studying your film. And he's looking to see 
how you operate and how you can be discouraged and how you can go down and what, how you can keep a dark corner in your life, how, you can main, how he can maintain a foothold uh, in your life. And the Bible commands us, we're supposed to resist and repel those attacks and to stand firm in the faith. And you know, in a tolerant society and in a society that's based on feeling, standing firm about anything will get you a label, all right? I'm okay with that if it's about Jesus and if it's about his role in my life. I'm all right, give me a label. I love Jesus. I'm not gonna allow that in my life because I love Jesus more than I love that. But you know what? Some of us love that more than we love Jesus. Whatever it is, I don't know what it is. I don't know you. But if we had coffee together, just like, hey, what, what, what are you struggling with? And let's get God's mind on that. And guess what? God's given us his Holy Spirit. He's given us his word. He's given the guy to your right and left. He's given us a new community of believers that are supposed to strengthen us and empower us, the guys at your table, wherever you're watching this, right? To help you recognize you're at war and resist the devil and stand firm. It's like, sorry, that territory right there, I'm not giving that to you anymore. And I'm planting my foot. And you have to get past me and all my brothers and God's word and God's spirit. I have weapons that are not made with hands. Weapons good for the destruction of strongholds. See the picture? That's what the Bible says. So we have to recognize that if we're not going to have a compartmentalized dark corner in our lives, we got to make sure, guys, that you confront your self-serving thoughts right when they come. Don't wait. Don't give them breath. Don't give them oxygen. Secondly, you got to be fully surrendered. And when we go to prayer today, that's what we're going to do. We're going to recommit to the whole team and to Jesus that we're fully surrendered. Third, you got to make sure you see sin the way God sees it. And then lastly, you got to recognize you're at war. To kind of round this out and to close out this whole series, the red letter warnings, we got to really understand the principle of all. All right, let's read Colossians 3.17 together. Ready? And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. You know how Satan writes that verse? Satan says, and whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do some in the name of the Lord Jesus. Want to know why he tries to get you to think that and distort God's word? Because he wants to put a foothold in your life that he can then line up all these resources in the channels outside your life that are filled with his strategies and demons and lies and deceptions and people. And he's going to run all his resources through that little small piece of your life. He's going to take the whole thing down. Make no mistake, men. That's what he wants to do. And here we see, no, I'm not going to do some of it. I'm not going to let a foothold remain in my life. I'm going to do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus. So some of you have some hard decisions to make. I have hard decisions to make. We have to decide today how we're going to treat sin in our lives. And we got to see it and treat it the way the Bible sees it and the way Jesus sees it. Now, how do you do that? Now, I know a really quick solution that some of us need to rediscover or maybe discover for the first time. And we we got to let the light of God's word shine on all aspects of our life. How many aspects of our life? All. So the Bible says... That your word, Psalm 119, 105, your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path, right? 
So if you decide to keep a dark corner in your life, you're going in the ditch. But if you don't want to go in the ditch, here's your answer, all right? Let's bow our heads and let's ask God to move among us, move among every person that's listening to the sound of my voice right now, wherever you are. If you're in a coffee shop or you're in a men's group or you're by yourself, if you're jogging right now, um, the men of Crossline Church are standing with you and we're praying for you. And we're praying for your life, that your life would be filled with power, filled with light, that your life would be pure, that you would be walking in truth, that you wouldn't be polluted by self-serving thoughts. There'd be no dark corners. We pray for power. And Jesus, all of us as a collective, as men of God, sons of the King, God, help us to be good at demolishing those arguments and thoughts that set themselves up against you in our lives. Help us to be good at immediately responding, but we can't be good at responding unless we know your word. So Lord, help those things come about. Help us be aware that Satan loves to create dark corners through bad thinking. So we ask you to shape our thinking. God, today, all of us, Lord, we're planting a foot And we're making a full surrender so that we can resist the devil. Lord, you have it all. Lord, take all of us, all that we are, all that we hope, all that we dream, all that we do, all influence, all connections, all resources, all good parts of us, all bad parts of us. Lord, all energy, Lord, we give it all to you because we don't want to conform to the pattern of this world which allows for sin to abide with holiness. So, Lord, we give it all to you. God, thank you that um, you took sin so seriously that you sent your best to earth to take care of it for us. It was the enemy. Sin was the enemy. It was getting in the way of you and me and all of us and you. And you handled it, Jesus, but it was aggressive. It was an aggressive move. And Jesus, thank you for volunteering. Thank you that you did that through your own will because of the joy of knowing us. And so, Lord, if, if you are willing to do that for us, we're willing to do it for you. In Christ's name we pray, and God's men said. Amen. We had some very notable members of the fire department step up and say, I was suicidal. Another guy said, I was struggling with post-traumatic stress. And all of a sudden we started talking about it. By not talking, we were killing ourselves but by simply talking, which for a guy is so hard to, to open up and just really share what's on your heart and your mind because you think you're the only one struggling with it. And, and in reality, we had, well, all of us were struggling with it.